right, so Richard, you want to know what happened? Uh, so you called me on Discord today to get started, right? Yeah. So yeah. So I saw that you were calling me on my phone, obviously not doing the show on a phone. So then I got on my laptop, which I was already highlighting articles on. I opened up Discord, and you know what it did? What? It, um, so this is what happens when I try and open up Discord today. I'm going to click on Discord. The stream can see this. It says, oh, must be your lucky day. There's a new update available. It's got a drop-down box. And by the way, Discord has been stuck on version 0.0.1 ever since it came out for Linux, which was like well over a year ago at least, you know? Um, yeah. And every time you open it, it says checking for updates. And I always just assume since it's an Electron app, like it updates anyway. But they did something where you have to actually update the wrapper. Um, so now it says version oh. 0.0.2 available. It says, must be your lucky day. There's a new update. And then there's a drop-down box. You know what the three options are? What? Ubuntu, and then in parentheses it says deb. Linux, parentheses tar.gz. And the third option is I'll figure it out. <laughs> right? Now if I click like the Linux one, if I click download, then it opens up Arc. Um, and it's like downloading this, and then it wants me to extract the tar.gz myself. Now I installed Discord with Pac-Man because I'm on Arch, right? Yeah. So like it, I installed it through the AUR. So I was like, oh, I'll click, um, I'll click, I'll figure it out myself. That must be the option where like it lets you not update right now, right? I'll figure it out. So it's like I click OK. I would assume it's going to open up next, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what happens when I click I figured out and I click OK? What? It just exits. <laughs> and then it won't open anymore? And then it won't. If I open it again, it says there's an update available. Ubuntu, Linux, or you'll figure it out. And you can't open up Discord without having the latest version. Um, so that's another mark in the books for why I don't like Discord even though I use it. <laughs> I mean, I was—I thought you were going to tell me that you finally, or that you got the—you were in the five percent to get the video calling update because I know they said they rolled that out today. Well, that—oh, you know—that's probably what the update is. So I probably do have that. Honestly, Richard, I probably have that five percent update. Yeah. Um, it won't because I'm not in that group because I haven't gotten that. Yeah, no, I probably got that, but I—I I mean, you'll let—you'll know when you get it because it's not going to let you open it until you update. Once you do get it. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Bimmer. And this is episode 11 of Rolling Release, our weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How you doing this week, Richard? Pretty good. That's good to hear. So I finally got, um, I finally got my main desktop updated. I'm not running Ubuntu 15.04 anymore. Yeah, I heard you got your main desktop updated. You're not running Ubuntu uh, 15.04. You are now running Ubuntu 17.04. Is that correct? On my laptop, I'm actually running Kubuntu 17.04 as well huh. as on my desktop now. Interesting. So basically... My laptop is a Chromebook, right? And I was originally going to go with Antergos and yeah, KD. Yeah, that was what I thought we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem came. There is an issue. Basically, on a Chromebook, the Chrome BIOS that comes by default doesn't let you install anything else other than Chrome OS. It just lets you enable Linux temporarily. Right. So if you want to natively install Linux on a Chromebook, you have to replace the BIOS with a this thing called CBIOS, which is an open source one. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a very basic lightweight BIOS, which means it didn't even support... I gave When I went to boot the Antergos Live USB, uh-huh. it said GFX boot error and would not start, huh. like, at all. Did you it try any, like, stage. grub flags or anything to get it to go past that? Um, or, like, text no, mode or anything? No, modify yeah. it, but... Because huh. it just it gave you... It said, like, had four different options. Right. Like, well, no. Test. It had start. It yeah, had you can always type things. in grub, though. If you hit, like, E, it drops to command line. But Oh, I but, didn't know that. Anyway, so you, that. you got Ubuntu working, though. And then the screenshot on your Twitter is of regular Ubuntu with Unity, which I was about to... I actually almost responded to your tweet saying, why did you just install Unity? We've been talking about how this is going to go away. So what happened there? Um, well, basically, I was going to install vanilla Ubuntu yeah. and then download KDE over top of it. But after shortly after making that tweet, I installed, I, I like added the a back port that I was looking up, okay. and it ended up just not working that well. And right. then I realized since I looked into Ubuntu, and Ubuntu was caught up with KDE Plasma 5 anyway. Right. So I just figured I would, and at that point, well, like somehow... I don't think it's up, caught up, but it's like fairly up to date. Yeah, it is at least using, I think, 5.9. Is it? Is it using, yeah. uh, I didn't think 5.9 was out back in April, but it might have been. 
Um, I mean, what am I using right now? Let me let me check what I'm using. Oh, I'm using 5.10 right now. So maybe you do have 5.9. Now, if you had gotten KDE Neon, that would have gotten you 5.10. But I Kubunji is probably better um, if you're just a normal user. So other than the software center, <laughs> discover right, crashes yeah. all the freaking time. So I'm we had to download Ubuntu's. We had a user in our chat room. Who was that random dude that kept asking me about that? Um, about Discover crashing? Right, we had a user in our chat I room think, that kept yeah. asking us about if we were having the problem with KDE Discover crashing, which I told them I never use Discover. Um, now, I have it installed right here. Let me open up Discover. And, yeah. Like, half I'm, the time when I search stuff, it crashes as I'm typing. When you search. So, like, what's something you searched? Um, Dropbox, when to, when to install that. Discord, Dropbox. Skype. I had to install a bunch of things. Well, I doubt those are going to be in your repos, so you probably wouldn't be able to use Discover to install those anyway. But, um... See, when I search, it doesn't come up with any well, results because it just has add-ons and plasma like widgets because it knows Dropbox that I'm on. Dropbox was in my repos. Was it? Yeah. Huh. I didn't even know there was a Dropbox for Linux anymore. But anyway, so Dude, you, that's the issue because there's 1704 repos and they're a little out of date. You do have. Uh, well, I I might just not use Dropbox a whole lot, but you do have problems with Discover, is what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I install the Nautilus one. Even when I am, uh, wait, you installed Nautilus? Dropbox Nautilus. The one oh, that supports status. So that's, that's a Nautilus plugin, and it works on, uh, Dolphin? Yeah. Huh, interesting. Well, it's a Nautilus, Nautilus Dropbox is an extension that integrates the Dropbox into the service from the Node desktop. But KDE, it seems to work with, not just, it just doesn't work perfectly with it. Hmm. Okay, well... You've got Kubuntu 17.04 on both of your computers is what it sounds like? Yeah, because awesome. I wanted to have them. Originally, I was thinking that I'd try and go Android Ghost on my desktop, but at the same, I kind of wanted to have the same yeah, back end to a certain point yeah. so that if I was using an application on the one, I knew it would work the exact same way on the other. Right, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's I've been cool. having issues with elementary OS for a while on my laptop. Mm. Particularly, it had some issues with Eclipse, like and the newest versions of Eclipse for some reason didn't work with the older version of elementary OS that I had installed. Yeah. And so it kept causing some issues with that. Yeah, that's so I'd wanted to actually reinstall on my laptop for a while, and I figured I'd use it as a test bed before I did that on my desktop. Hmm. That is really interesting that uh, you're using Kubuntu, because when KDE Neon came out, a lot of people saw that as making Kubuntu a lot less relevant. Um, but you should definitely keep us updated with how that's working for you. All right. So, yeah, we'll talk about that in future shows. Uh, so we are going to get on to our first story this week. Uh, Firefox, uh, well, this is a horrible headline for a very big story, but the headline here is Firefox may be getting a new logo, Richard. So Yeah. So, yeah, uh, really what uh, this is talking about is that Firefox is getting an update uh, where everything is getting better. But, of course, this person chooses to write an article about the logo specifically. Um, see, it's in the very first paragraph of the article. Almost every inch of the browser benefits from a refit or refresh. So we were just talking a few weeks ago about how Firefox is getting uh, to be less relevant. It's gotten very slow and sluggish and just not good performing compared to other browsers, right? Yeah. And, and how um, a lot of people also were using it less. Yeah, and we got a lot of comments on YouTube from people saying they were sticking with it and waiting for this new update. It looks like it might pay off for them uh, because, yeah, there's going to be big leaps in performance here. Uh, there is a new Microsoft Edge-inspired UI um, in the new Firefox, the uh, Firefox 57, which is coming later this year in, like, September or October, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Now, remember when I, I saw a screenshot of Microsoft Edge, I actually thought it was Firefox. Remember when I said that? and then got corrected um, in the no. comment section for that. Oh, yeah, somebody called me out in the comments and said, you said that was Firefox, that's Microsoft Edge. Um, and I responded saying, whoops, but um, I wasn't completely pulling that out of nowhere. I knew that the new Firefox thing looked pretty similar to Edge. But, um, yeah, as OMG Ubuntu reports, there is a new Firefox logo coming soon, possibly. It's not actually a huge redesign. It's just, like, making it less 3D and more flat, which is kind of the trend these days anyway. Yeah. Yeah, looking at these four logos that they've ever had, like, honestly, I could use any one of them and be fine with it. I don't know why they feel the need to put resources into that right now, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean... Kind of like how when Google's redoing all the emojis on Android for Right, some reason, right. It's like, no, yeah, Mozilla's not the only one wasting resources on logos, but uh, I just don't get why everyone does that, but... Um, I mean, like, the 2013 one looks adequate to me. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the, tw- the 2004 one looks adequate to me. I kind of like the yeah. darker one. But um, CNET did a much better job of covering this story uh, with this huge headline, Firefox Fights Back. All right, it's November when Firefox 57 is actually going to come out. Um, so, yeah, if you're using Firefox and you're thinking about switching, wait until November 14th and then possibly switch if you still don't like it. But right now, Google Chrome accounts for... Now, Richard, do you have the article pulled up right now? Um, if you don't, then don't pull it up. Okay, I don't. All right. I'm actually looking at your screen, though, what? on stream. Oh, oh well... Um, what do you? How much market share do you think Google Chrome has right now? Um, On the top of your head, probably like sixty percent. I'm just gonna guess. Sixty percent. All right, that's a little high. It's fifty-four percent right now. Now that's talking about PCs, tablets, and phones. So like uh, everything, fifty-four yeah. percent. Well, with Android, they would have a good chunk, I would imagine, because like most right. people probably just stick with Chrome by default on Android. Right. Let's see here. Uh, uh, Safari has fourteen percent probably mostly from iPhones, and then Firefox has 6%. Now that's talking, once again, that includes the desktop market. Firefox has 6% of the market share. But um, yeah, they're they're basically making this huge release, which is going to um, improve a lot of things. So we're gonna scroll down in the article here, and basically the, the Mozilla CEO says, quote, it will be night and day, this new version of Firefox. And Richard, we've been talking kind of about quantum flow and like, of like Photon, that was one of the projects we talked about, right? We've been talking about these different yeah. projects with these crazy names, making Firefox better. The CNET article kind of breaks down exactly what they all are. So Stylo accelerates formatting operations. So that's formatting specifically like CSS. Quantum Flow um, is the one that improves rendering. But do you know how it improves rendering? No. By fixing, they're fixing bugs that slow down the rendering. Uh, okay. So like that makes sense, but I didn't like nobody's ever put it like that before. They're fixing slowdown bugs. Uh, they're not just magically making it faster. <clears throat> yeah, that's a nice. They at least went that kind of level of detail in this article, though. Yeah, um, Quantum Compositor speeds website displays up, and the new Web Render framework is going to be in place. Now it won't actually be in use yet, but they're laying the groundwork for basically a GPU rendering for your your web browser. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, that's going to be very nice once it comes along. Um, But, yeah, they are also massively redoing the UI for Firefox once again. Now, they say gone are Firefox-only features, like a special box just for launching Internet searches. So um, Firefox and Opera and lots of browsers used to come with a separate search box, right? Yeah. You had your URL bar and a search bar. Now, it's funny because... I mean, mine still has that, too, <laughs> right now in my Firefox browser. Right. Now, are you going to remove it, though, manually, or are you going to leave it there? Um, I'm probably just leaving it there because I didn't really know you could easily remove it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the first thing I always do when I install a new computer is I, well, you know, I open up Firefox and I customize it the way I like it. I take the home button off, I take the search bar off, and, yeah, taking the search bar away is just as easy as moving the back and forward buttons or anything. Like, Firefox is already very configurable. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's going to be much more sane by default now. It won't be cluttered up by default, which is the more important thing for capturing new users. Um, they're also going to have a preferences search tool, um, which Firefox is getting to have a lot of preferences, I suppose, and this is going to let you search through preferences to find settings that you need easily. And um, Oh, that is... I really want that, because in Chrome, I can just, if I want to temporarily... I don't know. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather they just like have them in an organized way where I don't need to search, but, you know... Yeah, I guess that's. I mean, I don't know. Also, the naming was kind of bad. I think yeah. in their settings. Um, there like, is no going to be a new section. It's of, vague. Yeah, there is going to be a new sep- uh, section of the preferences just for performance, and that is actually in this other article here that OMG Ubuntu talks about, um, which is already that's already in the new Firefox 55, which was out yesterday, I think, and I installed it today. There's a new performance section listed under Preferences General. You can enable and disable hardware acceleration, set a multi-process content limit, things like that that affect the performance of your browser. Um, Before we leave the CNET article behind, though, like I said, they are ditching Firefox's curvy tab shape in favor of the rectangular style of Microsoft's Edge browser. So you can feel free to make that, uh, get those confused just like I did on camera a couple weeks ago. Uh, Feel free. And then... Yep, they've got a couple more quotes from Mozilla's CEO here. Firefox didn't keep up with the market and what people really want. Uh, Using Firefox always feels like being a step behind, says a programmer who's worked on Firefox. And then this article also, it it talks about a lot of the background, like why they've been falling behind the Firefox OS, quote, distraction. 
which is kind of sad to just sum the entire multi-year project up as a, as a distraction, but you know, basically what it was. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in Firefox, uh, there's a whole lot of political, like, you know, open source political type stuff in this article. I'll definitely link at the show notes. Check that out. Uh, really great CNET article on Firefox. But yeah, we'll move it along to the OMG Ubuntu article. Like I said, uh, 57 does not come out until November. 55 was out yesterday, so you can already install Firefox 55. It includes initial support for WebVR. Have you heard anything about WebVR? Um, other than the name, no. <laughs> I have also not heard anything about that, but apparently you'll be able to do like websites in virtual reality, which will be interesting. Um, a little bit more relevant to yeah. the average user, a Mozilla developer tested Firefox 55, and it starts up uh, with 1,691 open tabs. And how long did it take? 15 seconds. It took 15 wow. seconds to load 1,600 tabs. Took It took uh, Firefox 51 eight minutes. <laughs> right. And I could tell, when I installed uh, the new Firefox 55 today, I could tell it was faster to open up because I don't have 1,600 tabs open, but I've got like probably around 100 open. And it opened up really fast. And it uh, because it's multi-process, like actually multi-process now, and one tab loading doesn't slow down another tab loading. And honestly, when my computer has as high spec of internals as mine does, it shouldn't take eight minutes to open up 1,600 tabs, yeah. you know? So yeah, the fact that they've like got that down. It's not properly distributed if you're doing that. You're not using multi-cores. Yeah, but this, this, this graph shows it. Um, even just the previous version took like five minutes to open up that many tabs, and now it takes 15 seconds. So yeah, definitely if you thought Fire... Other browsers. Go ahead. What was that? They don't, have a, they don't have a comparison to like other web browsers? Yeah, they don't. I'd be interested to see what this is with Chrome. Uh, but honestly, like I've tried switching from Firefox to Chrome before and then coming back to Firefox because Chrome wasn't as much better as I thought. So <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this puts Firefox ahead of the pack in terms of opening lots of tabs. Um, some other changes in Firefox 55, you get a new Firefox screenshots feature, possibly. It is a test pilot feature, so some people have it enabled, some people don't. Um, I think we called this... Um, we talked about this feature a little while ago. It was called Page Shot, um, but now it's called Firefox Screenshots, a little bit more descriptive. And basically, it's just a screenshotting thing built into Firefox. Now, here's something interesting on Linux. Remember how we were talking about how on Wayland you can't screenshot the screen like through a screenshot program? Yeah. So I could actually see Firefox screenshots being useful. Like right now, I can yeah. open up Spectacle and take a screenshot anyway. I don't need Firefox to have its own screenshot functionality. But like if Wayland comes down the pike, I could actually see Firefox screenshots being useful. Being able to take screenshots of the web without having to have crazy Wayland stuff installed. Stuff you know? set up, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't see that icon to take screenshots, you can opt into this via test pilot. That's really nice that Mozilla lets uh, okay. you opt into these A-B tests. So, because um, not everyone lets you do that. If it's an A-B test, some people just, like, if you're not in the right group, then you just have to be in that group, and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? Yeah. Um, you can also move the Firefox sidebar to the right now, which I didn't even know there was a Firefox sidebar. I don't use that, but... Um, yeah, there are search suggestions, which I thought they already had, but now they have them again. And you'll find a new performance section listed in the settings like we just said. Finally, if you are using Ubuntu like Richard is right now, the Ubuntu modifications add-on that Ubuntu pre-installs with the browser is still not compatible with Mozilla Firefox's multi-process mode. So you're still not oh, going great. to be getting any of these performance benefits if you're on Ubuntu. Only the most popular <laughs> Linux distribution in existence. Not a huge deal, but, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, I really... Why do they need to ship that? What does it even do, the Ubuntu modifications add-on? I have no idea. And I, I did see that earlier when I was going through to add on a, add a highlighter add-on. Yeah, yeah, I hope they don't. Their extensions. Maybe they won't need that anymore now that they're not doing it. Apparently, since the last update, it's September 18th, 2015. Yeah, maybe they'll... And I'm running 17.04, so... <laughs> maybe they'll stop shipping that. But yeah, Firefox 55... Disable. Firefox 55 is already out. You should definitely take a look at it if you're using Chrome right now. Um, and then 57 is going to be out in November once again. So I assume I can't get 55 then yet, right? Um, now, here's the thing with that, Richard, is that I could get 55 right away because I'm on Arch and it's rolling release. However, I, I saw something that said that Canonical actually pushed Firefox 55 as a security update. It did give me something about updating when I installed so, this. 
if if Canonical classified this as a like a security update, which it includes security fixes because all browser updates do. Um, let's see, yeah, if you're an Ubuntu user running a supported release all the way back to 14.04 LTS, 16.04, or 17.04, you will get this. How do you see what version you're running? Uh, well, you're on 17.04, but I think if you're on no, Ubuntu, I mean... you can open up a terminal. Um, there's like a dist upgrade command that will show you, or you can go to like about in your system settings as well. Oh, I was wondering if in Firefox there's a way to tell what version. Oh, in Firefox. Um, yeah, yeah, in the menu, click help and then about Firefox. I don't have Firefox open right now on my computer because I'm doing the show right now. But yeah, you will get the update automatically through the software center in the coming days. 54. Right, so Canonical is still gonna test it for a couple days, but they are gonna be pushing it at least. Okay. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. And our next story is going to be Rhythmbox looking different in Ubuntu 17.04. Did you get a chance to read through this article? Um, yes. All right. Uh, you want to talk about this a little bit? All right. So basically, this article is fairly simple, but it describes that in 17.10, right? Yes. Yeah, in 17.10, Rhythmbox music player is going to look different. And the main reason they're doing this is it's actually not like modifying the core code to Rhythmbox at all, but they're simply adding a new third-party plugin right. that's going to change the overall look and feel of it. So if you have that up, you can kind of see the, you can show the two kind of before and after screenshots. Yeah, so this is the before, and they, they say you can't fail to miss those, quote, huge player buttons, and they <laughs> act like huge player buttons are a problem, and then they've got a screenshot of the new one with these smaller player buttons. Now, Richard, when's the last time you said, boy, that control was too big? Um, probably never. I guess, honestly, maybe I have done that before because if it looks like something's designed for a touchscreen, that would be my complaint, is that the controls are too big. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how they're spinning it. But yeah, this but is the old one. And I only ever really use Windows 7 on desktop. I never had to worry about yeah. the fact that things look like they were designed for touchscreen even when you're, they're on your desktop. Yeah, this is, the, this is the old one. This is the new one down here. So they moved the controls down to the bottom. Uh, they moved the, the play scrubber bar to the bottom as well as some other things and um anything else you were going to say about it basically the article does describe as making it look more in um line with gnome yeah overall client side decorations i think that's more of the important part yeah than just making the controls bigger or smaller because i feel like i'm trying to think if i've seen itunes recently itunes doesn't have anywhere near those big they're, but they're a iTunes has it. iTunes are at the top, but they're not like pause and they're not that yeah. huge. I don't, I haven't liked iTunes for a while now though, since they took away the sidebar. Yeah. I mean, I guess I use Spotify probably more likely for most of my music playing, yeah. and theirs is on the bottom as well, I think. But um, I think it is. Yeah, it's on the bottom. It's interesting that they're still shipping Rhythmbox with Ubuntu 17.10 because we, it, it says in the article, use of client-side decorations will help the aging music app uh, look up-to-date. And Rhythmbox, we talked about this last time, is it still being updated? I don't, I don't think it's still being updated. It might be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why they had to get a third-party plugin and right. integrate it. Right, why not just change the app? Uh, yeah, the last release was um, a year ago. It was one year ago this month. Almost to the date. It's uh, a year ago on Monday will be a year since the last release of Rhythmbox. <laughs> and that's not that bad in terms of open source, but it's not great either. And here's the thing, is that Gnome is making no music now. And no music is another music player. Wait here, let me find it here. Music. It's this new music player, a music player for Gnome. It's, got, it's very simple. It's got the album view like i we looked at this when we were doing our music player episode or i would think we might have forgotten to look at it but we found it during our research um so this is on my screen right now now richard if gnome is making a music app why not just ship that yeah i mean at a certain point that makes much more sense yeah now i think i don't know if this is more of just a stopgap measure in between 17.10 and like yeah i think that gnome music is kind of in beta right now um, and it wasn't super stable when I tried it out, so that might be why they're still shipping Rhythm Box. But it is interesting that they're going through this effort to make it look better. I mean, I just also wonder how many people really use a native like application to play music anymore, or how many people would just use Spotify. I or, use like, a native application. And we, talk, we talked a lot about that during our Music Player episode. I don't remember what episode number it was, but go back in the archives. You can find it if you're a new listener here. But uh, me and Mark talked about why like i i like to own my music i don't like the idea that if i don't pay you next month i don't get to listen to anything at all like 
I buy all my songs. Yeah. I buy all my songs on iTunes. Actually, I know I just said I don't like the interface. I don't listen on iTunes, but I buy the songs on iTunes in a virtual machine because Apple stopped putting DRM in. And as soon as they stopped putting DRM in their files, I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy from them now. Um, so I buy all my songs on iTunes, then I transfer them over to Quad the Bed is the player that I use now after that episode. So I would be somebody who uses a, a native music app, but it's certainly not as popular yeah. as it was at a certain point. Um, so yeah, and then let's see here. We've got another Ubuntu 17.10 improvement. They are looking to ship something called Sushi by default. And Sushi is a spacebar file previewer. Very similar, it reminds me of the preview function in Mac OS. Um, and it looks really nice. Have you heard of this before? No. So basically, uh, you just highlight oh, a file. Cool. Yeah, you click on a file in Nautilus, which is GNOME files, um, and then you hit the space bar to get a preview of it. And oh yeah, and Mac has that feature. I remember. Um, yeah, Mac's, that was one of the cool Mac features had they that. had. Like even when I first bought a Mac in like 2010. Yeah, Macs had, have had that feature for a little while now. Um, so yeah, it's really neat. Now it uses the GStreamer framework to play image, uh, display images, play music and videos. It also supports plain text documents, PDFs, and HTML files. I don't know if it supports rich text or like ODF or anything, but just the fact that you can do this with like videos and stuff is really nice. Like, not and apparently it has a .python file with support and even has like coloring on it. Oh yeah? Like syntax highlighting. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Even the screenshot that's showing up at the top. Oh, yeah, that one there, yeah. Um, now, honestly, for me, I don't feel like I'm missing much without this functionality because I can just open up MPV and play a video, or I can open up KWrite and look at a text editor. Um, but if you're if you're someone who previews files a lot and you've got a, like bad naming schemes, I guess, then I could really see how this could save you a lot of time being able to click spacebar and escape and not have to move your mouse around. Yeah, so, and yeah. definitely going through like a folder full of either video or full of either photos. And even though I don't feel like I'm missing anything myself not having this, I think it would be great if we ship this with Ubuntu by default because, um, like Richard just said, this was a really cool feature in Mac OS. So new users coming to Ubuntu are going to look at this. If they're coming from Windows, Windows doesn't have a preview function, does it? Or I mean, it's, Yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah, not so, Windows 7. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I haven't used Windows 10 much yet, so... So yeah, Windows users would even see this as an improvement uh, that Linux has over Windows, just like virtual desktops and everything else we've already got over Windows. So, well, I guess we don't have that over Windows anymore, but back at the time that I switched, we did. But yeah, that is Sushi. So they're thinking about shipping it by default, once again. But it's also there for you to install if you want it. And one last story about Ubuntu 17.10. Uh, we talked about it a lot last week, so we won't talk about it a bunch this week, but... Um, Alan Pope, a canonical employee, called for some testing. He, they want people to test 17.10 and tell canonical how it's doing. Um, they made some improvements. They implemented a power off option in the GNOME Control Center where the user can actually trigger the shutdown by pressing their power button. Now, how novel of an idea is that, Richard? Is that the, the power <laughs> oh, button <that's> shuts <laughs> down your computer? That actually GNOME it's not novel, but it is nice. GNOME yeah. took that option away when they did went to GNOME 3, and Canonical is now adding it back, so that's nice. Um, they are also making some other improvements. They have improved video acceleration by fixing a bunch of memory leaks in Chromium. Now, this is interesting. Uh, and it does, it, it, they've patched Chromium and saved 50% CPU usage when viewing videos Gosh. on Intel hardware. But Richard, I, now you just installed, you just installed Ubuntu, and I see a Firefox icon in the dock, does Ubuntu come with Chromium? No. So why do we have Canonical patching Chromium? <laughs> I don't know. It's the, like they just assume it's nobody's going that they to just use it. Casually their... patched it. And Nobody. Like 50% they just of the stuff that like hasn't been done yet. They say <laughs> we're going to ship Firefox by default, and then they assume nobody is going to use their default browser. They assume everyone's going to install Chromium, and then so they patch Chromium to make it better, and it they pitch that as an improvement to Ubuntu. Um, so that's interesting what happened right there. They've also made some other improvements to... Did they only contribute this patch in their version, or did they at least put it all the way up the chain for everyone to get? I do not know. That's a good question. Um, it is probably... kind of silly if they didn't let everyone get these patches. You can probably find that information in the weekly... Ubuntu's been making these weekly desktop updates ever since they started the whole... It also thing. makes me wonder how hard, though, the people who have done the open source 
thing for Chromium have been working if Canonical just casually, without having a huge familiarity with the code base, comes by and patches like 50% of these issues. Yeah. Or 50% of it, like reduces by 50%, and like no one apparently had done that. I think the that these updates. By the way, I, I do think I'm looking at the article right now. They say that the updated Chromium. Um, they provide version numbers for Chromium that have these patches, which makes me think that this is actually, like, they're, they weren't patching it in the first place. They are submitting patches oh, to the upstream. Oh, they're them down, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, they, I mean, they made the patches, but, like, they weren't... Oh, okay. They, there was never a time when they were applying these without Google. They've just, just been making the patches for Google. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe they have more understanding of, apparently, how Chromium works now that Google does. On Linux... I don't know. Google has a lot of power, so... I, I mean, you know. now that now that Firefox actually supports Netflix on this latest on these later versions now, I'm definitely probably going to stick with Firefox yeah. mostly on Linux. Yeah, now that it has that, that support for proprietary media and it also has great performance, there's not a whole lot of reason to go to Chromium anymore, but, um, but yeah. Now, they've also made some improvements to GNOME. They've allowed users to enable or disable the network connectivity checker, uh, which before the network connectivity checker was always enabled. No way to disable it. Um, so Canonical says, hey, GNOME, why don't we add a toggle for this? GNOME is currently reviewing that patch. So, you know, they, they may or may not. Do you think they're going to accept it? I wouldn't think they probably would. I can honestly see GNOME, like, declining this patch and saying <laughs> that it gives users too much control. Because that's, that's GNOME for you. It drives me nuts, though, that, like... Sometimes I feel like the networking on Linux without a default like application to manage it, like elementary OSs, it was crap to manage it on. You know, oh, yeah. Basically, hopefully connected now on, the first time. On KDE, uh, on Kubuntu, you've got the network manager. Like in your bottom right, you've got the network manager app. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. I, the KDE one is really nice. I think. Um, yeah, I think it's a big improvement over Mates, which was pretty messed up too. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, they're all network manager. Most of them are network manager underneath. But the applet that you're using can either be good or bad as a front end. So yeah, um, let's see here. So they've also Canonical has um, removed Android support from Pulse Audio, and saved some space and speed by removing Android support. Now, why why do you think they were shipping Android support in the first place with Pulse Audio? I have no idea. That seems a lot. Yeah, really. To me, but... The answer is in the article here. Um, it was from Ubuntu Touch. They were making it so that you could use Pulse uh, Audio on phones. Um, and as a Pulse Audio fan, I think that's pretty cool. But yeah, now they're... What they're doing here, they're actually... That was never in Pulse Audio itself. That one was one where they were patching that themselves and applying a patch in between Pulse Audio and the end user. So they have stopped putting those patches in because they slow Pulse Audio down when you add in phone support. And they um, slow it down for, I guess, everyone then, not just right. people who happen to be using it. Yeah, so they've... Uh, I'm surprised they don't just make it so you can enable and disable that, then, like, would that no longer slow it down? I mean, the code's still there. I'm, I Like, obviously, the Android support's not going to be doing anything if you're not on Android, but I, I don't know why exactly it is. If it just branches in the code, it seems like it shouldn't be doing... Right, I mean, you would have to ask the developers, Richard. Code, yeah, yeah. Um, this is just what Softpedia is reporting here, but they are—they have dropped those patches from Pulse Audio. They are waiting for GNOME to accept the patch to add the network connectivity checker um, toggle, and that is everything we have to talk about for Ubuntu this week. Unless there was any last things you wanted to mention. No. All right. So if you do want to test that, go give it a try. I assume this version is getting way more testing than any other version of Ubuntu ever. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Our next story, our next couple stories are about GNOME, um, and this is sort of connected, but GNOME is getting a lot of updates to its built-in applications. Uh, the first one here, GNOME Web 3.26 is going to add support for Firefox Sync. Now, back in March, the developers said that they were planning to implement Firefox Sync in GNOME Web, and Richard, have you ever used GNOME Web? No. All right, it's so also- So that's the default browser in GNOME? That's not. Eh, I mean, it's the know. default browser in GNOME, but it's not the default browser in Ubuntu or any other distribution. Oh, okay. the, it's just if you install Arch with GNOME, you might get GNOME Web. Um, but like Fedora ships Firefox, I think. Uh, but yeah, GNOME Web used to be called Epiphany, and that's the name that I know it as because you know it was Epiphany when I started using it. And Epiphany slash Web users before um, they were going to be able to sync using Firefox Sync. 
between their different computers using GNOME Web, but they couldn't actually use that with Firefox. Something about the file formats they were using was not compatible with Firefox itself, even though they could use Mozilla Sync service. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they have announced you will be able to sync between GNOME Web and Firefox. And this is a huge deal, like for me, even though I'm not using GNOME Web and I have no plans to because it's a GTK application, I'm on KDE. Um, if I was considering using GNOME Web, one of the things about my browser is that it has to have a mobile counterpart because I use open tab syncing a lot. If I'm out on break at work or at school and I'm just browsing through Linux stories and then later I get home and I want to start building our show here, I open up my recent tabs from my phone and I can pull in the open tabs that I have through Firefox Sync or Google Chrome or any other major browser syncing solution. Do you use that kind of thing ever? No. Hmm. Like, but I haven't used any actual syncing solutions on my browsers. Oh, well, that's interesting. I'm thinking about doing that. Yeah, I mean, I rely way heavier on it than I probably even should. But, um, but yeah, what this means here is that you'll be able to use GNOME Web on your desktop and Firefox Mobile on your phone in sync between those. So I don't have yeah. to. I don't have to worry about. Oh, well, if I switch to GNOME Web, I won't be able to sync with my phone because there's no GNOME Web for phone. You know. Yeah. Um, that's a huge thing for me. Uh, so I was excited to see that. But yeah, um, you'll be able to sync bookmarks, history, passwords, and open tabs, and that is going to be in GNOME 3.26 once that comes out. Our next story about GNOME is the new GNOME Calendar app. Did you read through this one yet? Um, vaguely. So the new GNOME Calendar, it is going to add a couple of small improvements. For one thing, you can add and modify recurrences to your calendars, which is a pretty basic feature in like Google Calendar or anything. Do you use any kind of computer calendar system? Um, yeah, I was using, when I was in college, I used Google Calendar because we had Canvas. I think most like colleges and like things now use Canvas. Did you ever use it? Uh, we were switching, when I was at S&T, it was the last semester using Blackboard and the first semester using Canvas, so it was a transition period uh, okay. when I was there. But there was, I discovered a way I could get Canvas and my Outlook calendars to sync with my Google Calendar. <laughs> so I just used Google Calendar then and then pulled all the sources into it on it, Okay, and it was pretty nice. So Canvas uses Outlook calendars, what you're saying? Well, Canvas uses a calendar format that you can import a calendar from into Google Calendar, okay. like on the web. But you, I, so you were not using Outlook yourself, though? Because that's what it just sounded like to me. But Well, Outlook, yeah. What I would do is often like an email would come in with an event, and then I would just add that event to Outlook Calendar, and then it would get synced to Google Calendar after that. And then I usually use Google Calendar as like the thing I actually checked. But it was huh. cool that it could pull in from all those sources, and I wouldn't ever have to actually manually do anything else. Because the nice thing is if I make the event, if I get like an email in Outlook, I just make the event in Outlook. Don't want, like, don't have to change apps. Right. Are you talking about out, like the Outlook web app, or do you actually use Microsoft Outlook? Um, they give us a Microsoft Exchange account. Right. So it's a web app. So it was the both the web app or the mobile app. Okay. But I you're not using you're not app. sitting down at your desktop computer and using Microsoft Outlook. No. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't really use the native that, email viewer. Right. I guess we talked about that already, yeah. But, Other than the phone ones. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, you'll be able to add recurrences to your calendars. Do you use recurring events ever? Um, yeah, usually like as reminders. Yeah, so I use them too. In Particularly Google when I was in college and actually had more of a schedule to my day. Right, that's the big one, yeah, making your college schedule in Google Calendar. It's going to be handy to say repeat this 50 times instead of adding it yeah. every single week. Um, so that is a GNOME calendar now. You'll also have out-of-range cells in the month view are going to be grayed out now. So like, you know how in a calendar you've got extra days on either end because it's a box but then not all months are equal amount of days. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Trying to paint a picture for our audio listeners here. Yeah, you'll be able to see exactly which days are not in the month because they're going to be grayed out now. Um, There's also some other small improvements like the string in the quick add popover. Um, So when you're adding an event, the string, quote unquote, has been improved. I assume that means some kind of instruction string or something. Um, they've also updated a lot of language translations, so lots of just small plumbing type things that are seeable by end users. Um, so yeah, if you use GNOME, you might be interested in GNOME Calendar. I know I would be because GNOME, Richard, have you used GNOME 3? No. Okay, GNOME 3 has this calendar that's built into the panel, but in the past, there was no way to add things to the calendar. It was just a calendar that was there in case you wanted to see what day of the week it was, and that was it. So... 
the fact that they've had this uh, that they've added an actual calendar application to interface with the panel calendar, I think is is very nice. I wish they had that back when yeah. I was using Gnome. So you can kind of move from the panel calendar to an actual application, yeah. even if you're not going to end up putting necessarily all your stuff in there. I also want to give a can shout this out. Can actually sync with Google Calendar? Um, can this sync with Google Calendar? Probably not, but maybe because Gnome has the online accounts thing where you can sign in. To Google. Okay, because so. if they could pull from it, then that would be cool. That yeah. way you don't have to actually open a web browser just to view your stuff in your calendar when you're on the computer. Yeah, I could see that being, we should look into that, because uh, that might be a feature. But um, I do want to give a shout out to the author of this article, uh, Marius Nestor, because I saw the little Easter egg they put in the screenshot here. So this is a story about GNOME calendar, right? Yeah. And then, do you see the recurring event that they are adding to their GNOME calendar? KDE Frameworks release day? Yes, KDE Frameworks release day. They're putting in an uh, article about GNOME, so yeah. yeah. I caught the the little Easter egg there. I don't know if that's it was actually cool, Easter yeah. egg, but yeah, that's funny. So our last story about GNOME this week is uh, the Nautilus file manager is also getting a couple of small updates. Nothing huge, but they are added, uh, they've added stable Flatpak builds. Now GNOME is kind of behind Flatpak because GNOME is backed by Red Hat and so is Flatpak. But, um, yeah, they've added stable Flatpak builds. They've revamped keyboard shortcuts for tab navigation um, so that you can navigate between your different tabs using your keyboard. They've also restored the tab functionality, which apparently they may have removed in a previous version. So, And by the way, this is another one. Like, You know how I just said that GNOME Web used to be called Epiphany, and some people still call it yeah. that? GNOME Files, this isn't called Nautilus. It's just called Files now. But then people still call it Nautilus. Like in the news article, they refer to it interchangeably, Gnome Files yeah. and Nautilus. Like they could have just kept all the names, but they're like half taking the names away and half leaving them there. Anyway, Richard, uh, they've got some, some other improvements. Mime type support for compressed archives, so you can see what type of uh, file an archive is. There is support for Tracker 2.0 search engine tool and metadata storage system. Now, so you said you've never used Gnome 3. No. This yeah, is actually one of the biggest reasons I switched away from GNOME 3, because even though at this point I'm a diehard KDE user and I would never go back to GNOME, there was a time that I was using GNOME. And the reason why, one of the big reasons I switched off of it is because there's this thing in GNOME called Tracker. You know what it does? It constantly searches through all of your files, opens them up, reads all of their contents, and logs them in a database on your computer. And it's not going anywhere, it's open source, but it's still annoying because it's accessing my hard drive all the time, and it was... Um, what the, is the benefit this is supposed to provide? Like <laughs> the, the benefit it's supposed to provide? Yeah. Well, now you've got full text search for everything on your computer built into GNOME. Oh, okay. So that's the benefit. That still... But, no, yeah, I... No, here, my problem was that you couldn't turn it off. There was no way to turn it off. There wasn't a setting for it. Um, so if you don't oh, want all yeah. of your files indexed in depth by tracker, which just the fact that they call it tracker, like, pick a name that sounds less invasive than tracker, because it's tracking me if it's called tracker, but... Um, it's like we know it's not sending it anywhere. But at the time when I was using GNOME, I was using a desktop computer with WD black hard drives. And have you used any of those? Um, they no. Are, they went to Shiba. <laughs> they are really loud. They are extremely loud hard drives. <laughs> so like just all the time I'd hear just all this grinding on my hard drive and I open up IOTOP. What's doing to that on my computer? It's always Tracker. Uh, so that's one of the biggest things that made me try KDE again after I was comfortable with GNOME. Um, and now Tracker 2.0 is out, which I'm delighted oh, to hear. And it's now a hard dependency for Nautilus. <laughs> so you cannot install Nautilus without Tracker. Now before, you still needed Tracker as a dependency for GNOME, but you can install the GNOME file browser, say, if you're using XFCE and not need Tracker. At this point, you cannot do that anymore. So that's great. Um, there's also Nautilus extensions. There, there's like this extension system they're working on, sort of like Firefox extensions or GNOME extensions, but for the file browser specifically. Um, you can now decompress archives on remote locations. They've added some tablet controls for common actions. And yeah, there is also full text search capabilities in uh, both GNOME Shell and the new Nautilus. So thanks to that tracker. They have also... I mean, the extensions idea is pretty cool, I think, for yeah. having like a file, being able to extend the file browser. I mean, just off the top of my head, I would say I don't know why they need that, but like GNOME extensions have been such a huge hit. I can see 
GNOME files extensions also being a thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, they did fix an issue with Control Z uh, keyboard shortcut. Obviously, that's the undo keyboard shortcut. Um, so now you can use it to undo the text that you're typing when you're renaming files. Um, oh, that's convenient. It is convenient. I would probably never think of being able to use it in that sense because I always feel like I would have done anything. But right, um, I think I've used it on KDE here. But yeah, they've they've they call it fixing an issue, so I assume it worked properly at one point. Um, but yeah, they also display the. So here's just some more nice little polished things. It now displays an error if you try and battery name to nothing. It says, "Hey, that that text box is empty. You can't do that." Whereas before, it presumably would have tried to do it and failed. Um, they've also added the ability to disable the zoom button when the percentage is set to 100%. Because if it's at 100%, you don't need to zoom in or out <laughs> unless you're like yeah. trying to do that. They've also disabled the create link functionality when the keyboard is empty. Uh, so if you copy a file in GNOME, you can right click and create a link, um, which is like a shortcut on Windows. But then mm -hmm. at this point, they have grayed out that option when there's nothing in your clipboard, which just makes sense. Like I said, this is just little polished stuff. And then finally, Nautilus will be capable of using portals for launching files in a sandbox environment like Flatpak. So if you're using Nautilus in Flatpak, then you can open up your SVG file in the Inkscape, which you installed with Flatpak. So you can have a whole Flatpak system if you want to. Yay. <laughs> Hooray. So yeah. Um, hey, I'm glad that Flatpak is getting support because it's it's I'm I'm officially... Supporting. I'm still more interested in the ones that were the standalone app designs, but no, you know, yeah, I prefer App Image, but Flatpak yeah. is competing with Snaps, right? And the enemy of my enemy well, is my have, friend, yeah. so I'm against Snaps. So I'm like neutrally for Flatpaks, and then I actually prefer App Images. Yes. And this thing, I don't think I really want a standard yet because I'm not really impressed with any of them that are competing for the standard. Mm. Like App Image really isn't even competing to be in the standard, and it's in my view the best one. Yeah. I think it's it's trying to be a standard. It's just not it's not competing because it doesn't have the same goals. But yeah, that's that's a different discussion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, your GNOME web, your GNOME calendar, and your GNOME files, aka um, Epiphany calendar and Nautilus, they have been updated. And Richard, you want to talk about notes? All right. So if you have the article up, I guess. But basically, there was about a year ago the Notes app came out, and it's kind of a Mac inspired. Yeah. And now and it's, it's received just a large update. Notes. Yeah. So. It's received a large update now that included design tweaks. They added a system tray icon, improved the startup time. Mm -hmm. Now it can go automatic updates, and it can also import and export and restore. Um, probably definitely the import and export options seem pretty cool to me. I wish there was still... It doesn't appear there's any way for it to sync, as far as I can tell. Not that like, I can see. Over the web. Yeah. Because they didn't mention that at all. And... Um, one of the actual, for some reason, I think they were originally trying to make it a selling point, is that they have this kind of macOS window border yeah. style. It's but interesting. I've got it installed. It's like a downside because it kind of like doesn't match anything else running on your system so, if you're both running on Windows or Linux. So I've got notes like, installed right here. Magic. Yeah, I've got it installed right here. I just want to take a look at it on camera here on stream. Now we've got, um, yeah, it's got the macOS, the red, yellow, and green button on the left side of your, your window. <laughs> Um, just completely going against KD Plasma, but it is interesting. Well, I, I don't really mind that much right now. But if I open up a file browser like Dolphin and I drag it around my screen, do you see the wobbly window effect? No. Well, because or, yeah, you're on Plasma it does that. Yeah. yeah. So that is not happening with this Notes app for whatever reason. Like the wobbly window effect just ignores here. Like it still does the the minimize effect that I've got, which is the funnily enough the macOS minimize effect. But, but yeah, um, this is what it looks like. There's a little bit of a UI bug here. Um, do you see how the time for the note goes below? Yeah, that's cut off. Do you see that cut off? Yeah. The, the stream can select. see it cut off. Um, and then once you, once I start another note, then it's cut off. Actually, like there's just you can't see that part. But that's a font issue. <laughs> Um, but aside from that, it's a pretty nice app. Like you can click your menu here. Ooh, yeah, they're off. Yeah. Hide the notes list. Show the notes list. You can um, import or export notes, but you cannot sync yet. Now, I, I would never be able to use this because it can't sync. Right now, I'm using a notes app called Standard Notes, and uh, it syncs. Um, before that, I was using Turtle, which syncs, and they're both also encrypted. This one is just for one computer, which is just like the macOS Notes app, aside from if you're using iCloud. 
But, um, you know, a lot of people use, like, the Notes app on their iPhone just to keep one-off notes. So if you're around your computer all the time, then um, I could see this still being useful even though it doesn't sync, just for simple stuff. Yeah. But for me, since I'm, like, trying to get both my laptop and my desktop running the exact same thing, essentially, for the most part, to be able to sync, I really would want to note this. I could definitely sync between them. Here's a question. Which is why I'm going to try and look into Firefox Sync as well soon, particularly for that. Right. Here's a question. Where does it store the notes? I don't know if the article mentioned it. Because it is... Now, this is an Electron app, uh, if you didn't notice. This is an Electron app, which means it's a web app running in Chromium. You can't tell because they did it really nice. But this is an Electron app. So I wonder where it actually saves your notes. Because if they do save them somewhere, then what you can do, Richard, is you can set up, like, sync thing just on both of your computers to sync it between the two. Yeah. Um, but of course, that's a workaround that you'd like to not have to be able to do. Do you have any other, anything else to say about this? Um, no, other than basically they mentioned at the end of the article there's no pre-built installers for it. You obviously mm-hmm. said that you can get it on the um, AUR it's in the AUR. copy. Yeah, and you can also get it on GitHub and just have to build it from source for those instructions. Yep. But other than that, those are probably the two main ways to get it right now. Now they they did say at the time of writing this article the Snap app was not updated yet. Um, I do believe that has been updated at this point. Oh, okay. I can check here, I think, by starting a download. Oh, nope. The Snap download name is just random letters and numbers, so that's great for Snap. <laughs> but, uh, Does it also have any... No, updated July 8th, 2016. Yeah, it's not been updated recently because it was published mm-hmm. April 25th, 2016. So it is only okay. a little over a year. Well, it's not a fair amount over a year. All right, well... It's about a year and four months old. Their packaging is a little off-par, but at least they're still updating the program itself. There are some uh, features. The instantaneous search feature is the the headline feature for this app, apparently. So I can search, test... Oh, that was pretty instantaneous, to be fair, yeah. (laughs) Of course, you have two. two Well, yeah, (laughs) I only have two, but I assume it's going to be just that fast, no matter how many you have, Richard. I don't know if that's true, but I assume... Um, they've also got a decent crop of keyboard shortcuts that make it easy to move between your notes without taking your hands off the keyboard. Um, some of the features planned for next release, folders and tags. I am not looking forward to that. The person in this article says, I'm looking forward to those. Uh, this is Jacob speaking. I am not looking forward to those. My my least favorite thing about standard notes, and I don't want to open up my standard notes right now because I don't know what notes I got right now, but standard notes, great interface. It's got a left sidebar with tags, and I can't close that sidebar. <laughs> and I don't use tags because I just use search or I sort by yeah. when I've modified the notes so I don't need to use tags for my notes um, so yeah I hope that there's an option not to use folders and tags that's my only complaint with standard notes um, if this thing synced then I would switch to this notes app even though it has the Mac OS title border it still looks better than standard notes because there's not an empty list of tags on the left so until well hopefully if they add tags they'll do it properly then yeah. um, <laughs> like you'll be able to like make it go up so that it's not actually in the way yeah but we'll see we'll see and uh definitely check that out if you're looking for a simple notes app um only got a couple more stories here kde had their academy um event a couple i think it was like the end of july i guess so a little while ago a couple weeks ago did you hear about it when it was happening um no all right um i heard about it when it, it was actually- happening that Wikimedia had a convention recently. Oh, did they? No, you could live stream it from their site. I only uh, watched a few minutes of it, but... Alright, well this was a KDE convention and it was, um, you know, relevant to Linux news. So, yeah. the first weekend of it was dedicated to talks and then the rest of the following week was dedicated to workshops, which they call BOFs. Uh, it's B-O-F stands of Birds of a Feather. Uh, but they pronounce it BOF, and those are sessions in which community managers who are interested in the same things meet and work together on KDE projects. So this year's event had over 100 attendees, and they traveled mainly from Europe, but also from North and South America and Asia. There were over 40 different talks just in the first weekend alone on all kinds of topics, and some highlights here. Um, the Plasma, obviously, KDE Plasma is one of the bigger projects in KDE, the desktop environment itself. And there's an interesting thing here. They say as much time was dedicated to mobile frameworks as was to Plasma on desktop computers at this event. Wow. So they're seeing mobile as like a pretty big platform. Yeah, they're spending a lot of time on mobile. Um, There's a couple different uh, projects in KDE that they kind of name drop here in the article. 
um, Kirigami and Halium, which are both sort of mobile frameworks. They're not the exact same thing. One of them is actually like a mobile desktop environment. The other one's just like a hardware framework. Um, but yeah, they are definitely taking a lot of look at making an, an at least a desktop environment for mobile. Maybe not a whole operating system, but they want to make it possible for people to make operating systems for mobile phones. So we'll see where that goes. Um, they are working on porting KDE applications to Wayland. They are working on packaging KDE apps for Flatpak. So lots of modernization things, future proofing. Um, there's a video here where they talked about the new application's lifecycle policy, and we're not going to watch it right now, but I did watch it before, and it is an interesting watch. Um, they actually, if you just click play right here, it starts two minutes in, but I rewound it to the beginning and watched the entire five and a half minute thing uh, where they're talking about a lot of the things they did. But yeah, there's a new application's lifecycle policy. Now, Richard, you're a developer. Um, I don't know if this is something that would, would be helpful to you, but they seem pretty proud of it, uh, where basically if you're looking to either write a KDE application or if you've already got an app and you want to make it a KDE application, um, this is the roadmap that you're supposed to take to do that. So you start off in one of these two places, either the KDE Playground or the Incubator, work on your app. Once it's good enough, it goes into the KDE Review Board, which reviews your app and makes sure it works well with KDE. After that, you release it, and there are like four different ways you can do that through the KDE project, and then eventually the app is unmaintained after you give up on it. Um, so yeah, what, what do you yeah, think about that kind of life cycle type thing? I mean, they never had a life cycle really officially before, right? Right, they didn't before. And like, even though this, it seemed kind of silly watching the video because they talked about how excited they were about this like three-step flowchart that they've got. But the, the cool thing about KDE is that they have all these different places. The KDE incubator is a really cool thing. Uh, one of the music players we looked at was part of the KDE incubator where they're like, they're either funding or at least giving like server hosting and resources to up and coming projects. Um, and then yeah. they've got these, they do have channels established for releasing programs to end users once they're good enough. So yeah, it's cool that they've got all these different um, tools like Playground is a Git module for projects just starting development. So you can use that if you're you're just starting out. So it's cool they've got all these these different tools. Yeah, and it's cool now they have official policy on it, so you kind of know what's going to happen. And if you if you want to have a chance of you're actually getting it into KDE, you can figure it out. Right, and then uh, they've also been improving communication aimed at non-technical users, and that has to do with documentation partially. Part of the video, what they talked about was um, KDE UserBase, which I don't know if you've heard of UserBase. No, I haven't. It's basically just a wiki, um, and it's. The, the video was silly because this guy got up onto the front of the room and he said, all right, user base isn't doing very well. We're going to make it better soon. And he sat down. Like, that was literally, like, I'm not exaggerating. It was about that short. He put it in different words. He said, like, expect to see some action coming soon. That was the only sentence he said. So I don't know what their plan is for user base, but it is a wiki. It's there. Um, and it's aimed toward more non-technical users than the regular wikis, so they're, they're working on improving that. Um, so yeah, Academy is over now. They are already starting um, funding for their next event that they're going to be doing, which if I go to the KDE News site here, it's called Rhonda, and Rhonda is where a lot of the Caden Live work happened last year, so I'm excited to see what comes out of Rhonda this year. Um, but yeah, check out dot.kde.org if you want some news about those KDE events happening. And Richard, we're to our last story this week. Uh, you want to talk about Debian or you want me to talk about it? Um, I would have to open the article. Let's All right. See, is it? Yeah, you can probably talk about this because you have a highlight for it earlier. Okay. Yeah, so basically, um, District Watch reports that we, we talked about Debian 9 being released how many weeks ago, Richard? I think three. I'm All right. Guess. Three weeks. And this is the world's most stable Linux distribution because they don't release until it's ready, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> So they don't really give an idea when that's going to be either. Right. But. Now, they just found a flaw this past week where if you have the live image, you cannot install your operating system. <laughs> that's a and it's gone flaw. like two and a half weeks without them finding it. Now, the standard <laughs> installation media works perfectly fine, but the live media where you can boot into a live environment, like it had a, a fatal flaw where you couldn't install from it. So basically, Debian is now saying, all right, guys... Do we actually need this anymore? Is anybody using this anymore? Um, Do I report it under 
unreported for two and a half weeks. <laughs> right. So yeah, the uh, Steve. Uh, what, how do I pronounce this name? Intier. Steve Intier is one of the people who works with Debian. He is questioning if Debian Live has a future and calling for help with testing and developing the Debian Live images. And he says, quote, if people do not show up to help, then he will disable building live images altogether. And the only option for using Debian will be to install it before using. Um, and that was, that was actually the quote from the Debian uh, announcement. Um, if you want to hear... If you want to hear yeah. McIntyre's actual words, then there is a link to his um, mailing list post that he made about this. So, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Debian prides itself on stability, so it really embarrassed them that this was out there. Now, I think, like, when I was testing Debian, when the week that this came out, remember I had it up in a virtual box to test it, and then I had the herd one that I couldn't get working, but the regular one worked fine. I downloaded the regular install media for that, just for testing in VirtualBox. And I think I haven't downloaded a live installer for a long time. Now, when you installed Ubuntu, uh, when you start up Ubuntu, you can either try or install. Which one of those did you do? Um, I'm it's... pretty sure I clicked try because it brought up a full desktop environment. Okay, you actually did click try on Ubuntu. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't give me that. I don't think it gave me that option. Do you know what I'm talking about where it normally does? Like, when you start up an Ubuntu ISO, then it says you can try or install. Now, for Kubuntu, maybe not. But regular Ubuntu, I think that's how that works. Then I probably clicked install. But, um, well, yeah. Like, I mean, the try feature isn't really... Yeah, I don't see how it would be... It's nice. It's kind of important to have live CDs because in case... I always think that, particularly with a Windows system, if it gets infected, I always right. want to have some sort of live CD. Yeah. People boot now, in. Here's the thing but about that, I don't though. know if every distro needs a live CD yeah. at a certain point. I... <laughs> Back when I was getting into Linux, the first distro I ever used was Fedora. Fedora's live CD back when it had GNOME 2 was fast. And then Ubuntu had their live CD that comparably was very, very slow because it includes a lot yeah. of stuff. Um, so it was very slow to start up. So Ubuntu specifically, I would always click install. I would never click try now on an Ubuntu CD. Um, but on Fedora, I would always boot into the live environment. Now Debian, I the reason I haven't touched a live installer or a live image for a long time is because Arch doesn't really do those, right? Like, Arch Linux, it is a live environment, but you don't have a desktop. Um, Antergos has a live desktop, I guess, so that's technically one, but but yeah, if you're installing yes, Debian... Boxes. When uh, I went up... Since I was doing it on... When, when I was doing Ubuntu on my Chromebook, I didn't even have that option because it just went the black screen, and then if you typed help and then pressed enter after the GFX boot error... Like that was the workaround that I saw on Launchpad and one of the uh, bug reports. Okay. And so that it that only gave you the option to then boot into a live environment. Then there was like a, on the desktop there was a like shortcut that said install. Okay. And from yeah. there, then I just went and ran it. I think if you're installing Debian, you're not new to Linux, so you're not like, do I want to install this or not? If you're installing Debian, you probably know like you're installing this yeah. on a server or something, right? You know that you're going to install yeah. it. You're not like, oh, am I going to wipe out my entire server and install a new operating system or am I not? Like you make that decision before you download the ISO um, <laughs> yeah. if this is in production. And if you are getting a live installer, on the other hand, let's say that I, I am making the case for a live image here, just to be clear. If you are downloading the live installer, what are you doing that for? Are you downloading the live image so that you can have more to download while you're installing? <laughs> You're, no, not really. Yeah. No, you're downloading the live image because you want to boot up for a specific purpose, and that purpose yeah. is probably not installing. That purpose is my Windows box crash and I need to recover some files, or my Linux box crash and I need to reinstall the bootloader. Like if you're in, if yeah. you're downloading a live ISO, you know you're going to be booting into it, and possibly one of the reasons that this bug wasn't found is because the people who did test the live ISO, it's very possible people were testing this. They just tested it by opening it up. Yep, it works, and turning it off and not installing it because that's not yeah. what live ISOs are always for. So, so was this as soon as it got to the live ISO part it crashed, or was this... No, it's when, you, it it's when you try and install. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. It, the live ISO were perfectly fine. It's when you try to install, and I think... It, live ISO. It might also have something to do with UEFI, reading the original post here. Um, so it's not like nobody could install it, but yeah... Um, so people using UEFI who happened to hit try, um, who happened to hit try now and then happened to hit install right after that. I I don't want to make a blanket statement because there's already more details in this post than I even knew about just reading the distro watch blurb. 
but basically, yes, like there were there were a lot of people who were affected by this bug and should have seen it if they were testing. It, it was a noticeable bug that has now been noticed. And um, so, yeah, you should definitely, you know, they're not asking for opinions on this. So like me saying this won't do a whole lot. If you do want them to continue making live Debian images, you should help test them, um, download the live images. And now we know that you should install it as part of your testing. Like I actually might not have thought that before, you know? Yeah. If I'm once so this wasn't even when you just launched the install thing. This was when you actually started the in, like started the install process. I'm not sure exactly what part. Of it that would be, be harder to test. Right. <laughs> like if you didn't want to actually you know wipe and format your drive. Well, the people who are who are testing these are doing it either on test computers or they're doing it in virtual machines. You're not gonna be. Yeah. I I would I. I would assume you're not going to be... I would be, assume, yeah, in a virtual machine, probably. Yeah, even if I was just testing that the installer started and without testing the install itself, I wouldn't be comfortable opening up an installer on a computer <laughs> yeah. that had valuable stuff on it. But that's just me. Yeah. All right, that was our last story for this week. Hey, Richard, have you heard about the Nerd Club? Um, no. <laughs> no, you haven't? Well, before we go, Richard, let me just tell you about the Nerd Club. Uh, it's the way you can get back to Nerd on the Street if you do enjoy our content. I know this week we were audio only. Uh, video will be back next week. You know what, Richard? This actually strikes me as ironic because w remember when the Linux Act, well, you might not remember, but the Linux Action Show tried to go audio only once? I flipped out about it, you know? <laughs> like, I, I was like, never, ever will I ever make an audio only show and put it on YouTube. And, uh, and then well, we have... Here we are. About to. This was extenuating circumstances, though. Next week, I'm hoping to be back with a camera. And um, so, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for watching this week. But, yeah, if you enjoyed the show this week, join the Nerd Club, nerdclub.nots.co. You can join through Patreon or through our own website. It's only $3 a month. Um, so just, you know, kick a few bucks our way, and we'll be able to make more videos with more cameras that so we can actually have video on our next video. <laughs> yeah. So nerdclub.nots.co and that is the show for this week hey if you want to find me throughout the week you can go to at jacobgkeu on twitter richard where can people find you throughout the week um glorif22 on twitter that's g-l-o-r-i-f-22 and um richardsprojects.net just as my general website which i do have a blog that i occasionally post on but i haven't posted in a while sounds good and uh, minecraftmedia.net has the first 14 episodes of displaced up i actually i i thought that i had 15th got approved today oh it did it did i thought yeah. that i had forgotten to do that um because i had i think got approved today I saw something here. either I proved last night or today. All I right. Yeah, no, I, what I'm saying is I submitted a while ago, but then I, like, it didn't get approved. So I was like, oh, I must not have actually submitted it. But uh, that's awesome if it's up there. So the first 15 episodes of this placed are up. The rest will be up over the coming weeks. And uh, that's everything for this week. Hey, everybody, keep using Linux. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.